What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Write that, write that down for me, Slater. Write that down for me, Slater. Write that down for me, Slater. Write that, write that, write that. Write that, write that. Fumi gives us an extensive background on AWA's deep-rooted history early on in this episode. And throughout the episode, we talk a lot about uh, the importance of figures like Luthez and Pat O'Connor, Edouard Carpentier, and of course, Vern Gagne. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Fight Game Media Network podcast feed, Spotify, Apple, wherever you usually listen to your podcast. It helps us so much. Please do so if you haven't already. Thank you. Oh, by the way, I have a book out. It's on Amazon. It's a Kindle book called Stronger Than All. It's a digital match guide. Every single New Japan Strong match for the first two years. Um pick it up over there all right let's get right into the first part of our latest series the history of awa part one awa championship wrestling the awa presents the greatest stars in professional wrestling bringing you the best in mat action Um, AWA is very interesting, you know. <clears throat> when you talk about AWA, American Wrestling Association, right? Mm-hmm. That that's the kind of name any wrestling company, you know, want to name your company, you know, big wrestling company, right? Sure. It's yeah, the first sure one that, enough, you know, comes to mind. Just like all Japan pro wrestling, all you know. Yeah, yeah, or Japan pro wrestling, sure, you know. Sure. Yeah, something like that. American Wrestling Asso- Association. 
Sure enough, there are about five different AWA in history. Did you know that? I did not know that. So there was the Vern Gagne AWA and which other uh, ones? Actually, that was the last one. You know, you go back to all the way to 1929 that the Paul Bowser, Boston promoter, had a company called AWA, American Wrestling Association, in Boston. 19, end of 1990 and 1920 to 1930s. Oh, my gosh, right? And there was another AWA, Ray Fabiano. AWA in Chicago in 50s and 60s, into 50s, 40s and 50s then. Yeah. And in Montreal territory in 60s, uh, at, at times, they called themselves AWA, American Wrestling Association, up in Montreal. And there was another one. Yeah, it's like, you know, wrestling print media in Japan back in, you know, mid 50s into 60s, they were translating English material into Japanese back then, right? Mm -hmm. A group of Japanese journalists in 60s, they're all confused. How many AWAs are there? You know, (laughs) then Boston AWA, Chicago AWA, Montreal AWA, and there's, uh, yeah, basically, if it wasn't NWA, like National Wrestling Alliance, oh, sure enough, there were two NWAs too, National Wrestling Association and National Wrestling Alliance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, basically, the, the, all the other companies that came after National Wrestling Alliance, you can call it spin-off of, you know, near monopoly NWA. See, the reason NWA stopped breaking up was that Okay, NWA, so before we start talking about N- Vern Gagne's AWA, uh, give me a minute or two to go over this, okay? Yeah, <laughs> please do. Yeah, and uh, the, the San Machinic NWA, the, the big, big, big-time NWA, National Wrestling Alliance, starts 1948, after the war, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a membership thing that uh, it, they, the idea was to share a, com- a common one World Heavyweight Championship. Therefore, that the, you know the, the World Heavyweight Champion have more privilege and uh, yeah, like be authority of wrestling business that that uh, you share one common World Heavyweight Traveling Champion, and each territory will have their own business, whatnot. And also, the NWA worked like a blackballing company that uh, they own. NWA only recognized one wrestling promoter in one geographic area mm-hmm. and was some, some somebody new come into your town and start wrestling company um they'll help you to beat them mm, right. <laughs> it's, it's, that's like that's that's the idea is against free enterprise right almost yeah i mean that's one way to think of it for sure yeah because who owns the rights to the business nobody you know, whoever wants to start your own business in in America, you know, especially that uh, you're free to do so. But uh, it was the idea was more of a monopoly, you know, like a creating a monopoly, and uh, monopoly would usually um, uh, kind of destruct within. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, and sure enough, not even ten years, 1959. NWA start breaking up 
you know, in pieces. Uh, but something has to happen in the ring too, right? That in June of 1957, in Chicago, then NWA undisputed world champion, Luthes, drops the title to Edouard Carpentier. Does the name, name familiar? He was a, uh, would you call him a high flyer? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's very um, acrobatic. Gymnast. Yeah, but also very strong. And uh, um, his his name was Edouard Carpentier, but he was from Poland, wasn't he? Uh, Yeah, that the mixed um, data that you have to, there's like a, according to historian, there are a lot of different stories. And he was, he was French. And also he was in circus. He was also a wrestler. And some people credit uh, Edouard Carpentier as somebody who discovered Young Under the Giant in Paris. Mm-hmm. And, but that's also a fairy tale, too. Anyhow, that he was an important figure in, six, in early 60s professional wrestling because, uh, because of this, you know, his you know, gymnast, you know, like a innovative style. But he was a big draw. You know, he can pack house. That's what's important in the wrestling business, right? Yeah, and he and besides being, I mean, the way that he drew was he was just um, an innovative kind of wrestler, very fun to watch, especially for the time. Yeah, yeah, and uh, to make a long story long, long story short, Edward Carpentier beat uh, Luthes in Chicago. Okay, and that was one of those uh, title switch at the building. Edward Carpentier uh, beats. Luthes and, and uh, you know put his put the championship belt around his waist and bring the title back home to Montreal and start defending the title. Okay, mm-hmm. and in Chicago the third fall was uh, forfeit. Therefore, a title wouldn't change hands. Luthes still is champion. Yeah. Then then so there's a two different you know world heavyweight champion. And a little bit later on that uh, Luthes uh, travels to Montreal and then beat. Edward Carpentier to end the controversy, but by then uh, Carpentier already had traveled around the around the United States, and uh, people like Killer Kowalski beat uh, Edward Carpentier in Boston. Therefore, Killer Kowalski is recognized as world champion in Boston. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, he travels to California, and uh, the the basically Freddie Blassie beat Edward Carpentier. Therefore, he, Freddie Blassie, and his group, I mean, the promoter, uh, recognizing Carpentier as, as uh, I mean, uh, Freddie Blassie as new world heavyweight champion. Therefore, WWA, Worldwide Wrestling Associate, starts. And uh, he, he did that around the horn. And a uh, lot of spin-off of uh, world heavyweight champions started appearing all over the country. Making sense? Mm-hmm. The reason that we're doing that was that, uh, Promoters weren't getting along. Uh, that's one thing. But in 1958, following year, uh, interesting thing happened that the Justice Department uh, of the United States of America, just Justice Department for, for real, you know, mm-hmm. uh, came in and investigated pro wrestling if it's not a monopoly. Mm-hmm. And uh, it antitrust. operated like antitrust. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, they seriously they. The reason the wrestling was investigated was that uh, 
they, you know, that the Justice Department investigated professional boxing first, if it was a monopoly, you know, and uh, just like the, the exactly what we were talking about a minute ago, that uh, this country, uh, America, the free free world and a free enterprise, right? There should should be no monopoly, antitrust, and uh, they investigated boxing first. Then they they investigated professional wrestling if it wasn't a, a monopoly. And what they did then was, uh, what do you call it, a uh, consent decree that mm -hmm. uh, pr promoters sign, sign the thing, ain't doing it, right? You know, we're all an enterprise. They went back, did exactly what they were doing. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, they agreed they... and they went about their ways and they just kind of went on. It was kind of an unspoken sort of arrangement. Yeah. But the consent degree was there legally, you know, and then they they told the authority that uh, no, we are not, you know, a monopoly and we are not operating as such. And this and that, and the promoter signed. They went back to exactly what they were doing. But uh, in reality, when Luthes was champion, he was a big draw and he was good champion and he was traveling world heavyweight champion. It worked as 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 NWA was designed. You know, and uh, 1957 on, after Edward Carpentier things that uh, Luthes losing a match with controversial, you know, fashion that would create all kinds of spin-off world Ch heavyweight championship. That's what I'm talking. About. You know, so it's not as undisputed world champion uh, as much as NWA wanted wanted to be, mm. but. Uh, uh, after that, and is it loose, you know, NWA World Heavyweight title goes from Luthes to Dick Hutton, uh, former Olympic wrestler, uh, Dick Hutton to Pat O'Connor, and Pat O'Connor to Buddy Rogers. Then after Buddy Rogers, uh, back to Luthes. In Buddy Rogers' era, you remember, you know, original WWWF was formed. You know, mm -hmm. today's WWE's root, you know, Worldwide Wrestling Federation with Vince McMahon Sr. Uh, same, same way that uh, the, today's topic in the AWA, our AWA, Vern Gagne's AWA, that uh, at the time, NWA World Heavyweight Champion uh, Pat O'Connor wouldn't take Vern Gagne's challenge. Therefore, group of promoters from Midwest, Minnesota, the, uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, Nebraska, the Iowa, the Illinois, the Wisconsin, the part of Canada, that they all recognized Vern Gagne as their common world heavyweight champion. Therefore, AWA starts. Storyline-wise. Mm -hmm. Are you following me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but reality is, though, like you and I talked about five minutes ago, there was like a five, six AWA around country. You sure. Know, you know, and then uh, actually before this uh, Minneapolis promoter crown, you know, giving... Uh, recognizing Vern Gagne as their first AWA World Heavyweight Champion. There was another AWA in Omaha, Nebraska, recognizing Vern Gagne as AWA Champion too. Very hmm. confusing, right? Hmm. Because uh, one thing was that, that that news traveled very slow in those days, right? Sure. There's no internet. Of course there's no internet. But th there is no cable TV to cover the country. That's right. Everything was local television. Yeah, what didn't happen in your town didn't happen at all. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
Mm-hmm. And maybe local newspapers, like a you know smaller circulation, and uh, you know, or even a Tribune type newspaper, but still locally uh, operated, they covered wrestling results a lot of times. So that uh, if you go back to you know like those library rest, you know that uh, reference, you can find sports pages from 1950s and find sports result, and you can also find wrestling result. And there was. Uh, Omaha, Nebraska version of AWA that existed with Vern Gagne as a champion, Mad Dog, the Crusher, and uh, and uh, now that uh, it's like 50, you know, 67 years later, that we can go back and, and well, let historian or let researcher do the research, but uh, yeah, um, there were uh, two different AWA operating at the time, even within Midwest, Omaha, Nebraska version of AWA and Minneapolis-St. Paul version of AWA. It merged uh, in mid-60s, I mean, early 60s. But all in all, AWA, uh, I, I would say headquarter of AWA has always been Minneapolis and St. Paul. Mm. Berngania's hometown. Sure. Yeah. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And Vergania was already a star that he went to London Olympic in 1948. Didn't compete. Uh, he was alternate, but he did go to London. So he would call himself. He's been to you know London Olympic. Then uh, he was an elite athlete. Was drafted in the NFL and became professional wrestler at the same time. Elite athlete, and also was a star of Chicago's. You know that. Uh, Gold, gold, the, you know, Dumont Network, you know, you know, weekly television coming from Chicago. Dumont Network, that it doesn't exist anymore, but, the, you know, there was a, a late 40s, 48 to be exact, late 40s into mid 50s, there was a lot of d- different network channels besides the network channel we know now, right? And beginning of television, much like, you know, in Japan, you know, beginning of television, meaning in beginning of professional wrestling, beginning of Ricky Dozen era. It, much like that in States, after the war, um, first thing, you know, the people bought was television sets, right? And wrestling was a popular program. And all through late 40s into 50s, Chicago's, you know, that uh, Marigold Garden, uh, Chicago wrestling was really popular with uh, promoter Fred, Fred Cola. And Vern Gagne was Chicago's U.S. heavyweight title uh, championship uh, champion. Why U.S. heavyweight? Because they were still part of NWA, you know. 
So uh, NWA only recognized one common world heavyweight champion, huh? So uh, the, what, who was on television was United States heavyweight champion, like Vern Gagne, the uh, Wilbur Schneider, the, you know, oh, also, oh, of course, Buddy Rogers. And uh, when you hear United States heavyweight champion, it's almost as good as world champion, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And Chicago Fred Collar was one time NWA president, but uh, the Chicago bunch, Chicago promoters around, you know, became so so powerful that uh, they had falling out with, you know, Missouri's NWA people. And uh, so they recognized U.S. champion as their main event guy on television. Anyhow, Vern Gagne was already that. Uh, before he was AWA World Heavyweight Champion, he was Chicago Television uh, U.S. Heavyweight Champion. So he was famous, national, he, you know, superstar. He was a familiar face. He was recognizable from television and from a lot of, not just wrestling, but football. From an from... Olympic and in Midwest, that uh, University of Minnesota football superstar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, he never told publicly, but he was a promoter too. Yeah. Right. That really, uh, you know, signifies or really, um, you, you know, make us realize and recognize that how wrestling business was operated then. You know, all around the country, you had wrestler promoters, you know, like Dick the Bruiser in Indianapolis, that uh, uh, wrestler promoter, like the Crusher from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the, the, the original Sheik from, the, from Detroit. Or, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Von Eric from you know, Dallas, Texas, Joe Blanchard from San Antonio, Texas, the Eddie Graham from NWA, Florida. Each territory, each top promoter, top star was also their local promoter too, and uh, that that's p- uh, pretty much why that the, uh, Vern Gagne's AWA always had another promoter, Wally uh, uh, Wally Carbo, uh, as the as like a head guy of the you know wrestling operation, Minneapolis and Minneapolis Wrestling and Boxing Club, something like that, and uh, they, Vern didn't want people to know that he was also a promoter. No, he was only a superstar. It wanted to be recognized that way, and uh, uh, what we, we learned from this uh, another thing was that I think wrestling company like a life expectation sort of is about thirty years probably. What do you think? I mean, even now, um, in in general sense that uh, you know Vern Gagne's AWA big successful company. It just lasted exact 30 years, 1960 mm-hmm. to 1990. You know, it, things change over time. And uh, the, the Vern time, you know, Vern Gagne's era was over, you know, when WWE, Vince McMahon, WWF at the time, uh, started operating, you know, everything, you know, like national expansion and worldwide operation things. And uh, when the cable TV uh, came in, that uh, people change perception in, in lo- your local wrestling. And uh, yeah, you see, Giant Baba's All Japan Pro Wrestling, All Japan Pro Wrestling still exists today, but uh, Giant Baba's All Japan Pro Wrestling starts in 1972, uh, and he, he passes away in 1999. So it's like 20, 27, 28 years. But that was his passing. Okay, Antonio Inoki's New Japan Pro Wrestling 
also starts 1972. He sells his company 2005. So it's like, like 33 years. Mm. And, uh, all these American territories, you know, like I said, NWA Florida, the Georgia Championship Wrestling, that uh, Van Eric's, you know, Dallas operation, that uh, even uh, uh, promoter to promoters has, you know, changed a lot. But the Tennessee company and uh, all these uh, Detroit's the Sheik's company or Montreal's, you know, Rougeau company. Uh, Stu Hart's Calgary company. It looks to me that wrestling company lasts about 30 years. Then yeah. the next generation come in or, you know. I would say that's a, a fair uh, average. Uh, between, if you wanted to get macro with it, you maybe say between 25 and 35 years. One company lasting. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Or like one generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, Vergani was aged, you know. Uh, I mean, he he started AW at his pe- pretty much peak of his wrestling career too. Mm-hmm. You know, the great champion in the ring and great promoter outside. And uh, also, what was different from other NWA territory was that uh, Vergani's AW was uh, more like a company, which had that uh, their own twenty-five to thirty wrestler roster. That package traveled. From Minneapolis to Green Bay, Wisconsin to you know you know Iowa to Canada to you know Denver to all the way to San Francisco. So they operated much like today's WWF. You know, other places like I said, NWA Florida only NWA. I mean Florida, right? Georgia Championship Wrestling. They had their own schedule and own calendar year within Georgia. Four companies in Texas. Uh, Paul Bosch's Houston, that uh, Von Eric's Dallas, uh, Funk's Amarillo territory, the Blanchers, San Antonio, Texas. They had their own calendar year. They operated within the local area. But uh, Vern Gagne's AWA had a whole Midwest. You know, it was a pretty big sized company, you know. And uh, it wasn't like, you know, that uh, the exchanging group of wrestlers from territory to territory. When they had a certain roster, they kept the roster, you know, this AW roster for a certain period of year. Of course, wrestlers come in, you know, come and go, though, and stay year or two, a couple of years, three years. Then they move to another place, and, they, and then you have another, you know, wrestler come in. Like, you know, Nick Bakwinko, you know, AWA champion, right? He wouldn't come into AWA until like 71, but stayed until the end. And that a uh, lot of promoters don't want you to be Homer. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, because I want you to stay as long as you draw money. And uh, yeah, uh, but uh, you may not be staying here. I mean, you're making home here or something. And the wrestlers were like journeyman at the time, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. for a long time. But some, People made home in certain places, you know, and uh, AW had their own roster and uh, they kept the same roster for decades. That was a problem at the end of AWA. You know, when I started, uh, you know, as a ringside photographers in January of 1981, the main event was Vern Gagne against Nick Bockwinkle, you know, and uh, they had been doing that for 10 years and they were going to do that a little bit longer, right? Mm-hmm. And they had wrestlers like 
Mad Dog Vashon, The Crusher, Baron Von Raschke, the, you know, the, the wrestlers they had for decades, you know. And then when I started, that the, it's, it's like I, 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 that's going to make me sound very, very old, man. But uh, Jesse Ventura and Adrian Adonis were two young guys. <laughs> Interesting, huh? Yeah. Yeah, how old do you have? You know, you still had Ray Stevens. Uh, and uh, Ray Stevens had a home in, in Minnesota, too. And time to time, Pat Patterson still come in. People like Black Jack Lanza, Black Jack Mulligan, Cowboy Bobby Duncan. You know, that the, I'm sure all those names sound ancient to you. <laughs> those you are know? famous names, and they're definitely famous in specific areas of the States, more so yeah, than others. Yeah, yeah. And Red Bastin, yeah. And uh, they were, uh, yeah, it's like a, and Wahoo Mc, younger in his prime, Wahoo McDaniel, younger superstar Billy Graham, uh, Billy Robinson in, in, in his prime, yeah. And there's a movie, you know, the, the called The Wrestler, the movie, motion picture mm-hmm. movie. Not the Mickey Rokes The Wrestler, but the Bern Gagne's version of the movie, The Wrestler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty uh, bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the Bern Gagne started himself. And that the main character was also uh, uh, Billy Robinson in different name, you know, mm-hmm. the, the title drama that the greatest challenge champion Bern Gagne is facing. And the greatest opponent is Billy Robinson. And that in that movie, you see a young Texas outlaws who are young Dusty Rose and young Dick Murdoch. And in the movie, you see rather overweight rookie Ric Flair in there, right? Yeah. Sorry, he and, was uh, originally from the Ferngania AWA territory. Yeah, and uh, Billy Robinson was a coach. Mm-hmm. A lot of people came out of that, you know, like like people like Sergeant Slaughter, that the, you know, Kazuro Bazzili, the Iron Sheik. He, he was already an Olympic wrestler or, or amateur, you know, national champion type who moved to America, and uh, he started in you know, Minnesota too. Yeah. And uh, oh, there's so many, there's so many Playboy Buddy Rose. Uh, did uh, yeah. did Rick Steamboat train there? Yes, Rick. Yes. Ricky Steamboat as a dick blood, yes. He mm-hmm. was coached under Vern Gagne and, and, and Billy Robinson, but he didn't really stay. Uh, he was going to go back to Florida, but uh, he started in North Carolina, and that was very, you know, fortunate thing that, uh, you, you know, young Ric Flair and young Ricky Steamboat pretty much clicked. And their single match lasted, what, next 30 years, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> so that kind of thing evolved yeah yeah so it was a good thing that some people stayed some people left see sergeant slaughter was bobby remus you know and he struggled a little bit then he traveled around the country and he came back as super destroyer mark ii and he had, had his run then after super destroyer mark ii he um he took his mask off and became Sergeant Slaughter and went to WWF and be a, became a challenger for Bob Backlund. Big star, you know. Then turned babyface, so it was, made him be even bigger, you know. And there was like, the territory was there, but, you know, basically they, ex, you know, that the far away enough that they uh, t- traded talent, you know, that uh, when we talk about Jesse Ventura and Adrian Adonis, 
they after AWA they went to WWE, you know WWF, and individually became challenged. You know that the East-West connection of Jesse Ventura and Adrian Adonis broke up and became you know single competitor, and each challenged Bob Backlund for the WWF title at the time. Oh, young Don Morocco, you know, spent years and years uh, in AWA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Young Cowboy Bob Orton Jr., they call it. You know, the ace cop Bob, Randy Orton's father. Uh, he he was a AWA wrestler in rookie years. Yeah. There's so many. There's so many people that uh, came in, you know. Was uh, it spent around years this in AWA. time? Was it around this time that Bill Robinson and, and Vern Gagne wrestled for uh, international wrestling in Japan? Yes. In, in early, 70, early to mid-70s, AWE had a business partnership with AWE, mm-hmm. International Wrestling Enterprise. Yeah, that the second company in Japan that had the people like Strong Kobayashi, Russia Kimura, Great Kusatsu, Mighty Noe, Animal Hamaguchi, Thunder, Sugiyama. What's interesting in the 70s, though, that uh, these IWE Japanese wrestlers, stars, they all had like English subtitle name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Shozo Kobayashi was strong Kobayashi, right? Masao Kimura was Russia Kimura. And Heigo Hamaguchi, Animal Hamaguchi. And they all had, well, of course, giant Shohei Baba, giant, giant Baba. And, you know, the Kanji Inoki was more famous as Antonio Inoki, always. And, uh, and after, oh, of course, Jumbo Tsuruda. But after that generation, you know, the, I guess there was a trend. And, uh, you know, people like Tatsumi Fujinami or after that, people like Keiji Muto or the Mitsuharu Misawa, they, I don't think they wanted to have that, you know, the, the Katakana title, right, name. So they went with their own name. But that was very 70s. These Japanese stars had this uh, English, you know, almost subtitled name. And IWA was a company. And Vern Gagne's AWA had the, the partnership with uh, IWE. And yes, Vern Gagne's first trip to Japan in 1970 was, yes, uh, with IWA. And the, the, at the time, I was a little kid, so I didn't know. But now I understand that the, how, how strong Vern Gagne's position was. He came in and championed, AWA champion, right? Mm-hmm. You would think that the title match will have like a out of control DQ finish or double counter or whatnot to make Japanese star look good, don't you think? That's what would usually happen in all Japan or New Japan. Yeah, or NWA world champion going to different territory and then and, 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 you know get to have a Florida heavyweight champions challenge or Georgia heavyweight champions challenge that the local hero babyface will, will almost beat him but never get the title, right? I mean, basic formula. But the 1970s version of, you know, AWA world champion Vern Gagne came to IWE and actually beat people like Strong Kobayashi and, in, in Japan, you know? And, uh, wow, this champion is really, really good. I mean, in my kids' eyes, you know, that, uh, well, this champion must be somebody really special that, you know, came in you know, for Japanese tour for like a just week or two week period, and get have a challenge from Japanese then cha- champion class at, at least, and then and then just one at a time. Vern Gagne beat everybody in Japan. Wow, right? Bald headed champion, <laughs> you know. 
Yeah. He stayed on top for a long time, even when he into his. Oh yeah, I mean, almost too long, right? And he's kind of the prototype for that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. He's that not because being bald though. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, it has nothing to do with his hair. He was like that when he was (laughs) thirty. Right. Yeah. That's that's right. That's right. Yeah. But uh, he stayed on top. That because how many times that uh, he was NWA champion? You talk about you know Ric Flair being sixteen-time world champion, and now it was Randy Orton's twenty-year anniversary with WWE, and he was a fourteen-time champion. John Cena, the Triple H, uh, all what the fourteen, fifteen, sixteen-time champions. I think Gagne had more. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. They didn't count because the news didn't travel, you know, or wasn't as accurate, you know, or or even had detail outside your town, right? Mm-hmm. So he might have dropped the title here and then and won that back next month or something. And so you we better stop counting, you know. So I'm pretty sure that he won AWA World Title a lot more than the other, you know, Ric Flair or Luthes or you know, your, your Triple H, John Cena, because you know, mm-hmm. he was in Midwest. Not to say that he wasn't good. I'm sure he was a big draw and popular baby face and a hero in Midwest. And some people said he was like Hulk Hogan before there was Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, for people's eyes. And for, yeah, there's a, one good uh, podcast out there, the AW Unleashed mm-hmm. by Mick Kirsch and George Shire, that, uh, He's those. You know, I know Mick. I know he's a friend of mine. He, these guys are 15 years older than I am. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so they can talk about 70s or the, you know 60s and 70s thing like it was yesterday. You know, mm-hmm. I can't do that. You know, but uh, yeah, that's one very good uh, um, uh, like uh, AWA reference because they were regular. Saturday morning TV taping at TV studio when they taped like a three or four weeks worth of television all-star wrestling and you sit all afternoon just watch name wrestler squash enhanced talent yep you know what I'm saying like ritual <laughs> yeah yeah and also the highlight was when they taped the interviews you know but they didn't tape the interviews in front of the audience because that would uh disclose what they want people to know because like i said you know they were ta- you know videotaping the localized interview same content just change name of town in green bay wisconsin i'll beat you right mm-hmm. you know and then denver colorado i'll beat you in st paul minnesota st paul you know i'll, I'll come and beat you. And it's just like same interview over and over just change the name of town that would, the, the footage would be sent to other local affiliate television station around Midwest, you know, so they have their AWA TV show localized in, the, you know, Colorado or Utah or Winnipeg, Canada or South Dakota, North Dakota, Nebraska, Illinois. Television was basically local, you know. That was also epitome of AWA era until you know, people discovered cable television. When was the when was the first time you had uh, you watched the cable television? Mm, my early eighties. Yeah, like mid eighties. Mid eighties. Yeah, but not every house had it. 
Well, they, somebody's by, parents. By had the late eighties, mid eighties, late eighties, they were offering. You know, there's your basic package, basic there's like, cables. There's like the two, three, four, five channels, and then there's the maybe like the average, and then they were they had satellites. Right, satellite but somebody have to come in and put the an antenna up on your roof. For yeah, something. that's for any premium stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. Uh, Basically, all through the 60s and 70s for a good 20-year period. That sounds like forever, right? Mm-hmm. Wrestling basically was all local, you know, like a local franchise. Therefore, television was such. And if you lived in Minnesota and watched All-Star Wrestling every week, that's all wrestling you get. You know? And, uh, yeah. But AWA itself was pretty big territory like i said you know parts of canada parts of you know the great you know lake area to wisconsin to illinois to iowa to south north and south dakota nebraska and parts of missouri even that's that sounds like all midwestern huh <laughs> yeah but you know we say west coast east coast uh the midwest the, the big chunk of the area that we're talking about today. yeah with, i think I mean, so i think maybe so. like the 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 it's it's people say it's the heart of uh, the United States. It's just the the big other chunk of what's going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And on on the, the opening you know opening video of AWA All Star Wrestling, American Wrestling Association, Major League of Professional Wrestling. It was unbelievable mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah, yeah. And they had the stars. You know that the the Crusher uh, sometimes call up his cousin Dick the Bruiser. Then you have this big, big you know, bruiser and crusher tag team. Only happens once or twice a year because it's a big deal. And going up against young Texas outlaws, Dick Murdoch and Dusty Rhodes. And uh, you know what I'm saying? That's like a big money card, you know? And uh, yeah. And before uh, uh, the Bach, uh, before Nick Bakwenko became singles world heavyweight champion, Nick Bakwenko and Ray Stevens was the longest reigning AWA tag team champion. Which was a big deal too, and they made uh, Vern's son Greg Gagne and his partner Jumping Jim Bronzel high flyers, and they were very much favorite, you know, tag team. And uh, Vern Gagne was also responsible for recruiting a lot of you know former Olympians like Ken Patera, late Chris Taylor, you know. Uh, yeah, Brad Reagan's a uh, little bit little. Brad Reagan's don't start until like. 80 years later yeah 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 because he was in 70 brad was in 76 month uh montreal olympic and u.s by boycotted 1980 olympic and he turned pro for real but he went back to la olympic in 1984 as a coach yeah i mean olympic coach i mean that that's how good he was yeah and uh yeah so real deal and my, my friend, late Masa Saito, came in in 80, uh, 83. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, we became friends. In 1984, Jumbo Tsuruta came in as cha- world heavyweight champion. You know, he, he beat Nick Bakwinko in Tokyo, and he came back with championship belt and traveled around the horn and the defended title, you know, with all the Japanese press and television. And I was, like, overwhelmed, you know. I was local photographer, Japanese kid, right? And uh, when Jumbo Tsuda became AWA champion in Japan, he brought all the television and new, you know, sports pages and 
all the existing wrestling magazine photographers and reporters with him, you know? And, uh, yeah. And that you had a, to, you had to, <clears throat> were you a part of that? Were you in charge of that or what? How was that like? What oh, not that? in charge though. I was uh, what, 21 years old, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, 22. So and, you were just, uh, what, no, you were taking was, pictures or you were just writing, were you, were you writing? I was with that? them and some, yeah, some people recognize me because, you know, I already had the credit in the magazine, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're the guy who lives in Minnesota and do this. And, uh, yes, sir. And I was like, I mean, all those guys were what, five to 10, 15 years older than I was, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but ended up meeting those people was, you know, good for a college kid, huh? Sure. You know? Yeah. 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 Exciting. Exciting. And also, I might want to do this, you know, after I'm, you know, I'm out of college, you know? Because now it's 40 years later, I'm doing this, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that was very exciting. AWA was, yeah, I'm, today we're talking about AWA. Then, then, then uh, it was very modern, you know, company, you know, had the same vision that uh, Vince McMahon would have, you know, in 80s, that they had not a territory, but the one company op- operating uh, wrestling, you know, house shows and TV shows and whatnot in a very larger area, you know? And uh, not like using the local talents in different parts of the country, but the AWA had its own, you know, 30 wrestler roster who traveled around the country. And they, there was like a traveling agent working ex- exclusively for AWA, the same building that, uh, well, they didn't mean to, but uh, there are so many restaurants traveling so many different places, and uh, they started booking hotels and stuff for them, and it's like, and you know, all start traveling or something that they named it, and then uh, it became their full-time, you know, job, and then it operated much like, you know, later on, you know, 80s WWE. And ironically, though, AWA, uh, was damaged the most when Vince McMahon's WWE 1984 vision national expansion started. Previous summer, you know, like if you, and it's it's already written in, uh, and what's the name of the book? You know, that, uh, uh, Sex and Lies and Videotapes. No, not that. That's the name of the movie. Uh, I mean, a wrestling book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's written about it already. But uh, Vince McMahon came to uh, came to Vern Gagne, offered them, you know, offered him to buy AWA. Mm-hmm. You know, but Vern wouldn't sell it. In the same uh, at the same time, you know, when Vince McMahon came to Calgary, Alberta, Stu Hart ended up you know selling it because he was ready to close down the shop. You know, mm-hmm. a little bit older, and also right. you know local territory in exchange that uh, Vince McMahon promised to Stu Hart that uh, the, their top wrestler, you know, will be hired by WWE. Like Bret Hart, Davey Boy, that, uh, Jim Neidhart, Owen Hart. Oh, Owen Hart was still in high school then. But the, Dynamite know, Kid. The, the Dynamite, yes, Dynamite Kid. Right, right. So that kind of operation happened. So Vince went around in summer of 1983, offered a lot of company to buy their company. And Vern Gagne's AWA was one of the company who, you know, did not sell the company, not not giving up, you know. And 
Vince McMahon's very famous quote was that, I don't negotiate. Mm-hmm. Right? <clears throat> yeah, very famous quote. I don't negotiate, meaning that I'm taking over. <laughs> you know? And what damaged AW the most was that see, 1982-83, Hulk Hogan was full-time with AWA, you know, full-time. He was living in in, in uh, Richfield or Brooklyn Park or somewhere like that, and and he already bought the townhouse there. He was ready to live in Minnesota, and he basically wanted to win a title from Bakwinko. And, and and there was a Hulk Hogan challenger, Nick Bakwinko champion program, pretty much all year long, you know. And then Hulk Hogan always won, you know, always almost won, or a lot of times, twice, three times. He actually beat Nick Bakwenko in the, in the middle of the ring, one, two, three, right? <clears throat> and uh, put the belt around his waist and left the building. And people watching it thought that you just witnessed the title switch, right? Big title change. And if you watch the following week's AWA television, that, uh, that the president of AWA, Stanley Blackburn, come in, and return the title to Bakwinko because there was such and such. You know what I'm saying? And so the people thought you just witnessed the title change and it wasn't. And uh, that's how Bernganya operated, you know, early 80s business, not knowing the time, right? People more, knew more about you know what's going on than uh, probably he, he wanted people to do you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, we still have to talk about '70s operation into '80s operation. How big AWA was and why it was so damaged by WWE Vince McMahon's national expansion. That's very important. That led to the end of AWA. They went out of business in 1990. We talked about 30 years, but uh, it was the end of Bernganya style business too, right? Mm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Oh, can't forget, you know, uh, we, we got to mention Dr. X as a big, huge superstar of 70s AWA. Right. Dr. X. Yeah, he was, yeah, in Japan, the destroyer. But in AWA, he had a different mask, different identity. It's a huge superstar, completely another identity. Dr. X. And you know, the blondie, you know, had, had a Dr. X t shirt in her car. Yeah. 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 He was a yeah. merchandising uh, innovator, especially in wrestling. He was one of the first. Yeah, I think um, so. I, I can't think of many other wrestlers who had so much of their own merchandise or brand merchandise for sale so long uh-huh. ago. He had so bobblehead figures. Here. And... Yeah, elements here and elements there. So we got to go back, you know, this 1983. You know, the end of AWA era is very important. So we got to talk about that next. You know, the, the part two. But today, yeah, I'm, I'm, I hope we touched up on a lot of things that was necessary to touch. But uh, yeah, yeah, um, we looked at the the deep history of AWA from not just uh, Vern Gagne point of view, but from the early early roots. Yeah. Yes. We needed to because. Uh, AWA operated like a big company when other territory had a local area and just one state, you know, one state area. But the AWA had a multi, you know, states, the whole Midwest territory, 
on their own and, and operate like big company, you know, traveling company. They're flying wrestlers when everybody else was driving. Yeah, you so. could say AWA was one of the blueprints for how American wrestling uh, shaped Evolved. itself into now. Uh, mm -hmm, before, mm -hmm. Because, I mean, look at from the mid-80s WWF, uh, a lot of those wrestlers were, we'll get to it next week, but were, they were from AWA. The layout at the time for television and WWF was pretty similar to what AWA's was too. Uh, the, yeah. Uh, the look, the, I mean, the, the wrestlers, the talent. Field. Yeah. When, and, and when Vince McMahon came and offered to buy AWA, that uh, Vern Gagne wouldn't sell it because he felt that he could compete, which he couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting story because it's very much uh, older generation versus younger generation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And Vern Gagne was friend with Vince McMahon Sr. That's why they always called Vince Vince Jr. <laughs> Which I don't yeah? think he I don't think he enjoyed it. Oh he enjoyed no, he doesn't enjoy that at all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we'll we'll wrap up next week. We'll talk more about from the seventies and eighties or to the end of the AWA. We'll talk yeah, more if about we learn about AWA, we learn a lot more about wrestling itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of important uh, characters and personalities from the time, too, that were huge Yeah, stars. we'll still talk about, you know, we haven't touched Road Warriors era. Yeah. Mm -mm. Mad Dog yeah. Vachon. Sure, sure. Or Jesse Ventura, how important he has become. Or Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Hulk Hogan. Became Hulk Hogan there. Yeah. And uh, quite, a, quite a few Japanese talent, too. Yeah, Saito, yeah, that too. Jumbo, Suda. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and not the undercard, but the pretty much the top star. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, next week we'll wrap up with that. So if we have questions or any uh, comments or anything, how can we get a hold of you, Fumi? Uh, on Twitter at Fumihiko Dayo, F U M I H I K O D A Y O, Fumihiko Dayo, or Fumi Saito on Facebook. Please message me first. And I'm at Justin M Nipper K N I P P E R on Twitter. Uh, until next week, Fumi, take it away. So long from Tokyo. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.